this evening, um, as, as Josh was praying and as I was listening to uh, prayer requests and, and, and praises and things that were mentioned, there were several things that, that were just sticking out in my mind as I had uh, been reading and studying on the scripture in, in, in preparation to talk to you tonight. Um, and I will hopefully be able to tie those, tie those in and, and, and tell you why uh, so many of those things that were sticking out. Tonight we're going to be taking a look at uh, Judges chapter 2, verses 6 through 14, and talking specifically about the next generation. Uh, I think it's, it's very, um, uh, very interesting as we start talking about the next generation of, uh, of young people that are, that are coming into the world. Just in the, the Prairie Quest town that we mentioned, the two things I was thinking about were the passing of Mr. Cook and the birth of Hannah. We, we have those things happening every day, people passing out, people coming into the world. And as that happens, as the next generation comes in, tonight what we're going to be looking at is, is how do we, uh, those who have relationships with Jesus Christ, those who know the Lord, how do we pass that on to the next generation? And how do we properly prepare them for, for life following Christ, because as we're going to see in, in a moment, it's not something that is an automatic, obviously. It is not something that we should take lightly. It's not a responsibility that we should, we should look at and just assume that it's, it's just going to take care of itself. It's something that we, we, need to, we need to be prayerfully mindful of, something that we need to continually work on in the lives of our children. And, and I think something that ultimately we need to trust and pray to the Lord that that because he's the one who's going to be able to work in their hearts and draw them into salvation. So, so there's lots of things I want us to think about tonight. I've got some statistics for some research that has been done uh, this past year by um, a couple of religious groups and as well as a couple of secular groups. Uh, but before we get to all of that, let's start where we should start, which is with Scripture, uh, in looking at uh, Judges 2, 6 through 14. So after Joshua had dismissed the Israelites, they went to take possession of the land, each to his own inheritance. The people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and who had seen all the great things that the Lord had done for Israel. Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. And they buried him in the land of his inheritance at timnath Herez in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gash. After that, the whole generation had been, that whole generation had been gathered to their fathers. Another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. They forsook the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshipped the various gods of the peoples around them. They provoked the Lord to anger because they forsook him and served the Baals and Ashtaroth. And in his anger against Israel, the Lord handed them over to raiders who plundered them. He sold them to the enemies all around whom they were no, who were no longer able to resist. Let's pray. Dear Lord God, as, as we look at, the, at your scripture tonight, Lord, and as we, as we study and we think about the, the next generation of children, Lord, uh, young adults, 
uh, that, that, are, that are coming up, Lord. We, we pray for your mercy upon them, Lord. We pray for their salvation. We, we pray, Lord, that, that you would work in and through us as we minister to them and as we lead uh, them here in this place, Lord, that, that we would be continually leading them to you. Lord, we pray for your guidance now as we, as we study your word together. We pray for your mercy. We love you, Lord, and all this we ask in Christ's name. Amen. So, millennials. What are millennials? If we ask the question what a millennial is, uh, a millennial technically is someone who's in their 20s or 30s. Okay, so that's the general term, but really it's anyone who's been, been born and been coming up uh, around the millennial, around the turn uh, of the, the 2000, 2001 era, those people would be included as well. Uh, studies have been done on this group. This group is a very important group. If you guys know market research, the reason that we're studying millennials, the reason we want to know what millennials think, what millennials are doing is because, honestly, companies are trying to sell stuff to them, right? That's the reason why so much research is being done, if we're honest. But from a, a, a church perspective, we also care about what they think because we want to know why so many of them are leaving church. Uh, if you're not aware, millennials have been leaving the church in droves, and they consider it organized religion, right? So we're not just talking about Fairdale. We're not just talking about the Catholic Church down the road. We're talking about an organized church, whether it be a Protestant church or an evangelical church. Catholic Church, however you want to term it, they're leaving the church. And so studies that have been done uh, as recent as uh, 2016 tell us that uh, they're leaving nearly 6 in 10 of them are going to leave the church when they get into their, uh, their 20s. They're going to graduate high school, and as they walk off and grab their diploma, they're going to walk right out the back door of the church, and they're going to consider themselves non-religious unaffiliated with the church. Now, what does that mean for the church? What does that mean for people who are involved in ministry to children and ministry to youth and ministry to young people? It should be scary for us. Frankly, I have six children. If this statistic is true, three of my children will not be churched. It scares me to death. So tonight, what I want, I want us to think about, and what I want us to do as we look at this story and, and, and Joshua, see that it is not uncommon for children to come after people who we might hold up. Joshua, right? We have multiple Joshua's here, but not the Joshua, right? And yet the generation that followed him walked out and, 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 and turned away from God. They abandoned God, is what it says. So I want us to look at some things that I, I think that we can do. I don't have a, a magic formula on this. If I did, I would have written a book, and you guys would be getting a book signing following this. But I think some things that we'll be looking at are certainly things that are, are solid biblical principles that we can, we can implement to stem that tide of that 60% that's walking out of the, of the church. So, what can be done? What should be done? How do we as parents and as a church help ensure that the next generation knows and loves God? Let's start by looking back at the scripture, verse 6. It says, The conquest, uh, Joshua had dismissed Israel and had sent them out to their possessions. So the conquest of the promised land was complete, sort of, right? When I say conquest was complete, sort of, because they did not do exactly what they were told to do. They didn't completely run all of the peoples out. 
You guys know from reading uh, in, in, the, in Scripture here that they didn't exactly run everyone out. Um, specifically in and around uh, Jerusalem, the Benjamites didn't run out the, all of the Canaanites. So some of the Canaanite people remained, and they remained with their gods, their foreign idols that they worshipped. I think that's going to be key uh, to, to what we see happening to this next generation in a little bit. But they had completed the uh, conquest of the land. Joshua was sending them out to their respective inheritances uh, to take uh, possession of the land. And they had remembered and they had been through, Joshua and the leaders had been through departing Egypt, going through the Red Sea, being in the, the desert, seeing as a spy, seeing the promised land, but yet not being able to go and wandering uh, for 40 years. Then the conquest. So he had been through all of that. And finally, they're at the point where they can go and rest at last. God had done a tremendous amount for uh, the Israelites. He had done a tremendous amount for and through uh, Joshua and the elders. And he had blessed them uh, over and above what they could have ever expected. So Joshua and the elders had seen these things, and because of all of these things that God had done for them and they had seen, they not only loved God, but they worshipped God and they trusted God because they had learned to do that over time, walking with God. They had been in the desert. They had seen water come from a rock. They had seen manna come from heaven. They trusted. They knew God. The problem was the next generation that was coming hadn't had that experience for themselves. They knew and they had heard uh, from Joshua and the elders, obviously, the things that God had done, but they had not personally experienced it. So I think as we, as we look at this and we look at the, the way that Joshua led, uh, I would say that they set an example that could be followed. So for us today, as we minister here and as we, as we raise our own children, the first thing that I, I think that we, we should see is that we must set an example that can be followed. Joshua and the elders were obviously setting that example in worship and in following God and in trusting in God. We must do the same as we trust and follow God. In Deuteronomy 4, 9 through 10, uh, Scripture says, Only take care. And keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children. How on that day you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb, the Lord said to me, Gather the people to me, that, I may, that they may let them hear my words, so that they may learn to fear me all the days that they live on the earth, and that they may teach their children to do so. So this was true of Joshua and the elders, and it should absolutely apply to us. We must teach our children by setting an example and telling them about what God has done for us. And not just telling them. We must move beyond just just telling the stories. Telling the stories is, is, is absolutely vital. It's absolutely important. But we must set that example for them in following Christ. In verse 8, we see Joshua dying. So Joshua dies at the age of 110 years old. Huge loss for the Israelite people, obviously. Joshua had been the protege to Moses. He had led the people militarily. He also had led them spiritually as they went through the conquest of Canaan. I do find this interesting that 
uh, as Joshua has other elders that are mentioned, it, there's not a passing of responsibilities as there was with Moses and, and Joshua. We don't see that sort of handing off of leadership in the same way that we see with Moses and Joshua. We do understand that there's elders or others that are leading, and certainly we expect that they would continue on uh, the traditions uh, that, that had been set forth for the Israelite people in worship, but we, we don't see that happening. So as the elders, the other elders, continue on encouraging and influencing worship, we see that the people continue to worship because they're being led well. Verse 9, Joshua is buried and he is honored in his, in his burial by the Israelites. But as the other elders begin to pass, we see things begin to change. So if we look in verse 10, verse 10 says, And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. So as the, other, as the elders begin to pass and are eventually all gathered to their fathers, this passing represents the turning of that generation. That turning of the generation where those who are being born no longer know about the things that had happened in the past. I talk to my kids sometimes and I tell them stories about uh, when we got our first microwave. Okay, My kids have no clue what it's like not to have a microwave. I can't tell you how many times you know, when they're talking about, so did you guys have like the internet? No. No, we had no internet. Did you? I didn't have a computer. Uh, I remember when the first computer was out in school and we had those gigantic floppy, either actually floppy disk, you know. I remember all these things. And I'm sure there are many of you who remember many more things. Color television, maybe television period, uh, maybe sitting around listening to radio, um, maybe communicating with a blanket and the fire. I, uh, so... There are things that, that are generational, right, that, that we just don't understand because we have no frame of reference. My children don't know what it was like when the plane struck the World Trade Center on September the 11th. I wish they did. I wish they were able to know what it was like to get a call from my wife who was living in another city at that time and hear how scared she was because she was about five miles from the Bluegrass Army Depot. Realistic fear. But they don't have that frame of reference. And this generation that came up did not have the frame of reference that the elders had because they hadn't seen manna from heaven. They hadn't seen water from the rock. They hadn't seen the parting of the Red Sea. They hadn't seen God working all of these wondrous things in the lives of the Israelite people. And because they hadn't seen those things, they were a generation that didn't have the same faith. Now, I'm not saying, and I don't want us to, to say, well, we don't see all of those miracles today, Matt, so how, how can we have faith? What I'm saying is they didn't believe, potentially, that those things really happened. Or maybe they didn't take those things as, oh, those are stories that, you know, maybe Grandpa tells that are great stories, but it doesn't apply to me today. Okay? So... These leaders are now gone. This generation arises that does not know the Lord. And because of that, they begin to fall away and they begin to adopt the worship of the people groups around them. Now, if you remember uh, earlier when we were looking at the scripture, I said the fact that they didn't run all of the people out was going to be a problem. The people who were left had idols that they worshipped. Baals, Ashtoreth, Poles, other things 
that were going to begin to draw their attention and draw them away from the worship of the true God. And because they disobeyed God back then, it became a problem again. It's like sin in our lives. If we look at this example of sin, if we have a problem, something that we struggle with, if we don't completely remove that from our life and we continue to kind of toy around with that sin, eventually we're going to fall to temptation and sin again. It's like someone who has a problem with alcohol but yet keeps that bottle in the cabinet and doesn't completely remove it from the house. It's there. It's a temptation. If it's completely removed, the temptation is is not in the house, right? The the ease of falling, it takes more effort to fall, right? Uh, I I look at the example of having these gods here, these these foreign gods. They they had problems with living in and amongst these people, seeing how they may have worshipped their gods, maybe... Um, you know, being, being, just being tempted to, sometimes I think our, 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 our young people fall temp, tempted into things like this where they think, hey, that looks fun. Or they hear about people talking about things that they've done on a Friday night that they really shouldn't have been engaged in, but they're tempted because they think, man, that sounds like they had a good time. Or they see pictures of it on Instagram or Facebook or something, and they're like, hey, that looks like fun. I must be missing out. And I think maybe a sense of that is what happened here to the Israelite people. Rather than staying focused on living for God and worshiping the one true God, they began to look and they began to see. And because there was a lack of leadership, because the elders were gone, they went after those things and they sinned. So I have a a question with regard to that lack of leadership. What does it say about the previous generation what does it say about the previous generation? I mean, we're talking about our, our, our church has 60% that are leaving the church now. What does that say about the previous generation? Did they not teach properly? Did they not engage? I'm not, I'm not going to say that that's the case. But I think we need to think because we are the previous generation. And I want us to think about how we are leading. I want us to think about how we are being an example. I want us to think about how we are teaching from the truth of God's word into the lives of the generations that are coming up. I just find it interesting, and I I don't have an answer for that. That's more of a rhetorical question. But I I just think, what does it say about the previous generation? If the previous generation does not teach and disciple and lead in such a way that helps the next generation be able to continue that. So we must teach them to trust in God's word. We must teach them the truth from God's word. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house And when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise, and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be frontlets between your eyes, and you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. In other words, we are to teach our children, teach the next generation diligently. What does it mean for us to teach them diligently? Does it mean 
that we take them to church and we allow someone else to teach them in Sunday school and then we allow the preacher to preach to them in church and then we never pray, we never read God's word, we never do anything with them until Wednesday when we bring them back and the youth guy or the children's guy can talk to them for an hour and then we hope that that's okay until we get to Sunday, assuming that we attend those services. I don't think that's diligence. When I think of diligence, I think of someone leading in prayer daily, someone quoting scripture to their children, calling attention to what God is doing in their life and how something is not just luck. It's the providence of God. It's God working in our lives, taking every moment that you have an opportunity when you're driving your child to school and you see the sunrise. I love that. If you guys ever see my Facebook post, I don't post very much. But when I do, it's a lot of times sunrise, sunset. And when you see those, just know that I'm talking to my kids about how God created the world and how God did that right there. And we're only going to be able to see that for just a few minutes because that is something that passes so quickly. But in that moment, we could see the glory of God. Take those opportunities. I'm not saying that just because I do that. I think that's a wonderful, teachable moment. But take every opportunity to be diligent about teaching your children the truths of God's word. And if you say, well, wait a minute, you know, Matt, this is great. I'm really well beyond the child rearing age. You know, my, my kids are grown. Do they have children of their own? If they do, there you go. Do you have nephews? Do you have nieces? If you're here at church, we have plenty of youth and children who could be poured into. And if you say, well, I'm I'm busy with those with something else. Well, guess what? FCA is also available. There's plenty of opportunities to be involved there. Pour into young people. Not just little kids, not just youth, adults also. Remember, when we talk about millennials, we're talking about 20 to 30-year-olds. We're talking about Sydney and Cedric, right? You're sitting here, I'm sorry. But we're talking about pouring into their lives, investing in them, and teaching them from the truth of God's word, setting them an example that can be followed. So this next generation that embraces idol worship, I want to get this, this thought into your mind also, that as they embraced idol worship, that that worship of idling, or the worship of the idols, is like committing adultery. Now, God had done all of these things, had worked and provided all of these things for Israel and had brought them to the promised land and they abandoned him. It is like a spouse who has uh, their, their uh, significant other who does all of these things for them and sacrifices for them and gives everything that they can to them to show them that they love them and they turn and abandon them for another. I can't imagine the pain of that, but I think that's the picture that we're being given here because as the church, we are the bride of Christ. The Israelites are the bride of Christ, and as they turn away from him and abandon him to, to serve and worship and bow down to another, it's just like committing adultery. Many times in our, in our lives, as we, as we have things that draw our attention or, or, or draw us away, there are competing voices also that may be calling to us. We have a little Google Home device. And I'm sure that if I went home tonight, I could say, Hey, Google, is Christianity true? And I would receive some really interesting responses. We didn't have to deal with that years ago. Our, our millennials, our young people are dealing with that today. Misinformation. Voices who 
specifically want to speak lies into the lives of our children. And I want to tell you that if you are not speaking truth into the lives of your children, the world will be glad to fill them up with lies. Satan is seeking to destroy. And the easiest way to destroy a young mind is to give it misinformation and to give it lies that it adopts and believes to be truth. And then it grows and it perpetuates, and those lies get taught to their children. As we're talking about millennials who are 20 to 30 years old, those are the people who are thinking about and planning families, right? For the most part. They're going to be teaching their children. It's not just one generation that's at stake. It's multiple generations. So if we are speaking truth into the lives of our children, the world will not have the opportunity to teach them lies or to tell them lies. We also must disciple and continually point our children, our young people, to Christ. In verse 12, we see that they abandon the Lord. And and, and I I think as we look at the, the term abandon and we think about what it means to abandon, to leave completely uh, withdraw yourself from. If you think about abandoning a child, how, how terrible an idea that is to abandon a child and leave them defenseless. But that's what they did. But our God is not defenseless. They abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them, and they bowed down to them and provoked the Lord to anger. So this next generation disobeys the teachings that they had received. The God who had brought them out of Egypt into a land of flowing with milk and honey is is no longer in style. They now like these new gods that have all sorts of other strange practices that they've gotten drawn into. They're ignoring God. They're running after these idols, which, as we know, were nothing at all. And it's important for us to note that that, that God has his, it says his anger. Let me go back to verse 12. And they provoked the Lord to anger. God's response to disobedience, God's response to disobeying is not indifference. God's response is anger and judgment. Which is a dangerous, dangerous thing. The next generation is at stake. And I want to challenge us tonight that as we, as we think about the next generation, as we think about uh, how they have run and how they have um, adopted all sorts of different positions, many of them, honestly, uh, according to the statistics, just say that they're unreligious, indifferent to God. How closely does that match up with what Scripture says? They've abandoned God and they've become indifferent. It's not that they're atheists or that they're adopting some other religion. They're just not churched at all. But they're at stake. So what are we going to do? What are you going to do? Are we going to resign ourselves to the fact that as our kids turn 18, like I said in the beginning, that they're going to get a diploma and walk straight out the back door of the church and be gone? Roughly 60% of them? No. No, we cannot allow that. We cannot allow that as a church. What does that mean for the church? What does it mean for the preaching of the gospel? 
What does it mean for our children and for their lives? What does that mean for their children and their lives? I want to encourage us to to do what we've talked about tonight, which is setting an example for them that can be followed. Teaching them the truth from God's Word. Discipling them in God's Word and in how to live a Christian life and how to follow Jesus Christ and continually point them to Christ. The last scripture I want us to make a reference to is one that was read for our, for our, our call to worship, which is Luke 18, 15 through 17, that says, Now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked him. But Jesus called to them, saying, Let the children come to me, and do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a small child shall never enter into it. We must contend for the lives of our young people. We must contend for their eternal lives. God ultimately is in control, so we should go to Him in prayer, but we must set those examples and we must continue to invest in the lives of children, showing them not only the love of Christ through uh, our, uh, our support, but also through speaking truth into their lives. I I want to say that it's not enough for us simply to show up. It's not enough to show up. We have to invest. And investing is hard because lives are messy. It's hard because it takes time. It takes our our resources. It takes our money. It, It takes lots of things that we may not feel like we're adequately equipped to do, but God is adequately equipped to do through us. So I want to encourage you. Let's change this trend together. Let's change this together. Let's, let's pour into our young people. Let's disciple. Let's find people who we can encourage, who we can speak truth into their life, who we can come alongside and help them and help them understand what it means to be a Christian, what it means to follow God. Because what's at stake is eternity for them and for their children. Let's pray. Dear Lord God, we thank you for this night. We thank you for allowing us to be here, Lord. Lord, we, we just pray now that as we seek to minister to our children and our youth and our, our young people, Lord, and, 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 and as we seek to, to serve them, Lord, and lead them to you, we just pray that you would, would give us strength, give us wisdom, Lord. We pray that you would, would guide us. And we ask all this in Christ's name. Amen.